0: Man, what a morning so far, hey? These baptisms, praise the Lord. God is doing some amazing things, and what's really exciting, we have baptisms lined up for December and January as well, uh, so we're just looking forward to being able to continue to celebrate um, with various individuals as they enter into the waters of baptism. We have lots of guests this morning, I'm assuming, here to celebrate the baptism. Welcome to each and every one of you. It's so great to be together. Um, we've already had a great time of worship, of hearing testimonies, and now we will turn our attention to, to the words. So I just invite you to pray with me. And uh, we'll jump into our message this morning Father God, it is good to be together And there is so much for us to be thankful for There is so much for us to celebrate together this morning So we praise you for your goodness and your grace in our lives We praise you for your presence with us And Lord, we thank you for your word And we thank you that as we open your word, uh, you speak And so, Jesus, it is my prayer for us this morning that our hearts would be postured to receive from you uh, that which you have for us today. So, Lord, even as as I speak, Lord, may my words just echo um, your heart and words that we have in Scripture. And Lord, help us to become more like Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this weekend, you probably were getting emails all week in your inbox ramping up for Friday. How many of you experienced that? Various emails, Black Friday sale, Black Friday sale, all these different things. Um, It's interesting, statistics are already out on Black Friday stuff, and we're not even through the whole weekend, but they estimate that online spending alone hit $9.8 billion on Friday. Um, And one other thing they're talking about is how 5.3 billion of that came from people ordering things off of their mobile devices, which is up significantly from last year, apparently. Um, And this weekend is always so interesting, right, because we're looking at the things that we have. And then we get all of these advertisements coming into our inbox, and we become very aware of all the things that we do not have. And so we start maybe making plans or engaging uh, with various Good Friday deals and sales. Um, and, but I can't help but miss this irony a little bit, that it is this weekend, Black Friday weekend, that we finish off our series on the Ten Commandments with the commandment, Do Not Covet. Ah. Oh. We don't plan these things, you know? We don't plan these things. And while having stuff isn't bad, and while Black Friday sales aren't bad, in fact, I think it's sometimes really good stewardship for us to look at spending less rather than more on on various products, it's when wanting these things, it's when having lots of stuff makes us ungrateful or discontent when it causes us to be stingy, it's when those types of attitudes well up in us that we have a problem. Well, we've been in a series um, over this whole past fall. We've been working under this idea, this reality that God's created us. And because God's created us, he actually knows how you and I are to get the most out of life without blowing it. That when we think about our best life, when we think about living life abundantly or life to the full, that God has a way for us to experience that. So we are asking the question, well, what is the way that God has called us to walk? What is the way in which we can journey with God so that we can experience this life abundant that he has for us? And we've been using the Ten Commandments as a springboard to answer that question, What are the various ways that Jesus has invited us to walk and follow him? And this morning we come to the end of this series and the end of the Ten Commandments with the final commandment. Where we see that God's best is that we would keep ourselves from covetousness. That we would not covet. Exodus chapter 20, I'll be all over scripture this morning. I'm reading from the ESV this morning, which is a little different for me, but if you want to follow along. Uh, But in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, we read, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So what is covetousness? Well, very simply, the definition, if we're looking at kind of the Hebrew, um, to covet is to desire or to try to acquire. It is to crave. It is to find pleasure in something. And the emphasis we have in covetousness is that coveting is looking beyond what we have and yearning for more. So the idea of desire, the idea of acquiring, the idea of craving something, none none of these impulses are inherently wrong. But when we are experiencing those impulses in such a way that we look at the things that we have, when we look at what we have and we say, what I have isn't good enough. What I have, it isn't the latest and greatest. What I have isn't going to accelerate me in life in the ways that I want it to. I need something else. I need something greater. I need something more. And here in the Ten Commandments, we have a list of the things that we are not to covet. And I appreciate Jen Wilkins' work in her book, Ten Words, breaking up um, these, these categories, these, these items into three categories. That we're not to cover, covet possessions. So, this idea of our neighbor's house being the things that our neighbor owns, we shouldn't covet that. We shouldn't covet our neighbor's wife. Jen Wilkins would look at that and say, well, our, our neighbor's relationships as a whole. And we shouldn't covet our neighbor's circumstances. This idea of looking at the livestock or the slaves that might belong to someone, these were things that helped propel an individual forward in terms of their own economics, their own security, the things that made their life comfortable, made their circumstances good. And to these things, we are, we are told we are not to covet them. And if you disagree with Jen Wilkin on her categories, the Ten Commandments goes on to say we really shouldn't covet anything. That is to say that everything is off bounds when it comes to looking at what we have, feeling discontent or frustrated with it, and yearning to have something else in order to be happy. Well, this idea of covetousness is very broad in Scripture. So I want to make six observations, and we're already short on time this morning, so let's do six observations in six minutes. Should we give that a try? That's not going to happen, but, uh, but bear with me as we, we journey through Scripture together. So we understand covetousness more as we look at the whole of Scripture. And I want us to begin right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, I believe we see that coveting is misplaced desire. Now if you're familiar with the story of Scripture, Genesis chapter 3 is where the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and deceives them and leads them to to engage in this original sin. And it's interesting when we read the dialogue between Eve and the serpent. Because what the serpent's getting at here to Eve is basically saying to her, Eve, your current circumstances, the current things that you possess, the current things that you, you have, they are not good enough. You need something more. You need something greater. And so the serpent points at this tree in the Garden of Eden and he says, this is the thing you need. This is the thing that you should want. This is the thing that you should go after. And it's really interesting in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 because we read, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and she ate it. Now what's interesting to me about these categories is that, again, inherently these things, they aren't bad. Is it bad to desire good food? No. Is is it bad to look at something and, and look at it and say it's beautiful? No. Is it bad to desire wisdom and knowledge? No. These desires, each and every one of them, are actually good things. But what's the problem? The problem is that God had already given Adam and Eve good food. God had already given Adam and Eve a beautiful garden to enjoy. God had already given Adam and Eve the means to wisdom and knowledge in their relationship with Him. And to the things that they already have, all the things that they already possess, the enemy is looking at them and saying, Those things aren't good enough. And so Eve takes those desires inherent within her and she misplaces them, she redirects them she points them to something that she's not meant to have, something that God had not actually given her, something that God had said, this isn't actually for you. And she takes it. Here we learn a lot about sin. We see that misplaced desire fuels sin. We see that sin is seeking to meet a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. As we look at Scripture as a whole, we see that this this idea of desire and coveting continues to affect the people of God. And where we might think that coveting is something that really only impacts those who don't have something, it's really something that affects us all. Coveting affects us all, the poor and the rich. And two stories in Scripture that really stand out about covetousness are the stories of King David and the stories of King Ahab. King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 is the story of him looking at Bathsheba, desiring intimacy with her, craving a relationship with her that's not meant for him. And so he goes and he takes what's not his to take. He covets her. In the case of Ahab, there is a garden in Israel that he wants. But that garden belongs to somebody else. And these two men, these two kings who have so much, who have so much available to them, who have all these relationships, who have all this stuff, they look at what they have, they say, it's not good enough. I want this other stuff. So coveting affects not just the poor and those who maybe don't have, but it also affects the rich. Looking at an abundance of things and saying, what I have is not good enough. They are not content with their wealth. They think that by having just a little bit more, they will be happy. And this leads into this idea of coveting that Jesus actually speaks to in the New Testament in Luke chapter 12 verse 15. That coveting is based on the illusion that having more will fulfill us. And here in Luke 12, it's an interesting setting. We have two brothers come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, divide the, our father's inheritance for us, right? They, they want to get the most that they can get out of their inheritance, and they come and ask Jesus to help them. Jesus thinks it's ridiculous that they are asking him to help them in this, and then he has this throwaway line that isn't related so much to that narrative, but this is what he says. Jesus says to them, "'Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions.'" Here in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, we have Jesus cautioning us about the pursuit of stuff. Cautioning us about reaching for things that are beyond what's already been given to us. He says, be careful. And why is he telling us to be careful? He's telling us to be careful because in our reaching, we're often expecting that the thing that we're trying to obtain is somehow going to make us more happy that it's somehow going to lead to greater abundance, that it's somehow going to complete and fulfill all that stuff that is inside of us that just needs that little bit extra, right? Jesus is saying, no, it's an illusion. Life is not found in the abundance of possessions. Life is not found in acquiring all those things that people are telling you you need to acquire. My inbox this week just flooded with all this messaging and images that, man, Adam, if you just had these running shoes, you'd be so much happier. If you just owned this thing or that thing, you'd be so much happier. But according to Jesus, he's saying, no, that abundance, that happiness you're seeking, you're not going to find it in these things. In fact, the pursuit of these things can lead us into trouble. Which leads us to our next principle, that covetousness is an expression of worship to other gods. Covetousness is an expression of worship to other gods. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. um, The Apostle Paul is teaching the people about how are you to live a life oriented towards Jesus. And, And he says to them, you need to put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness but he adds to this not just covetousness but he says covetousness is idolatry you want to live a life oriented towards god You need to put to death the covetousness in your heart why because it's idolatry which is to say it is the worship of other gods when we covet what we do not have we are declaring that god is not good enough and that we need more than god to be happy What does that remind us of, right? Genesis chapter 3. Eve entering into the worship of a false god. Abandoning the goodness of Eden in the pursuit of something else. It was idol worship. Declaring that what God had given was not good enough. Now this is something I don't think we do intentionally. When covetousness is ruling in our hearts, I don't think we mean to worship other gods. Philosopher and theologian Jamie Smith, he's written extensively on the concept of desire and worship. Uh, He writes that our idolatries are less like conscious decisions to believe a falsehood and more like learned dispositions to hope in what will disappoint. And I don't know if it's the marketing of our age or the wealth of us as, as a people that we are so caught up in this delusion. You know how easy it is for us to reach and purchase and grab things that are beyond what we already have, thinking that it will somehow fulfill us. It's so easy for us to do that. But when that becomes kind of our default, I believe we enter into what Jamie Smith calls this learned disposition. Next principle, is here's the problem with idol worship. It starts to impact us in ways we maybe didn't intend. James chapter 4, I believe, teaches us that covetousness harms our relationships. James writes, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. He's pointing us back to the importance of prayer and seeking the Father to meet those deeper needs within us. So here's the thing about coveting. Coveting is upstream in in relation to so many different behaviors in our lives. You know, if you were standing by a beautiful stream and you're seeing a bunch of apples appear in front of you floating down the water, you rightly ask the question, where are these apples coming from? And if you went upstream, you might see a young boy throwing apples into the water. Coveting is like the thing that is upstream from behaviors like murder, adultery, theft, or lying. Because when we are not content with what we have and we begin to reach beyond what we have, we find ourselves not just desiring more, but beginning to think and plan and plot of how we might obtain it. And we're coveting someone's spouse because you're discontent with the marriage that you have. When it goes from covetousness to plotting and planning how you might acquire a relationship with someone else, well, now you're committing adultery. Coveting was upstream from adultery. Where you look at someone's possessions and you really want that one thing that they have. And you begin to plot and plan how you might obtain it. And suddenly you take something from your neighbor. Maybe without them knowing, your coveting has turned to theft. And it destroys our relationships. We sin against our neighbors. And think about your own relationships. How often competition and greed sets us against one another. When someone suddenly has something, we don't celebrate with them for having it. Instead, we get angry at them because we do not have that thing as well. Covetousness harms our relationships. Covetousness, too, harms us personally. This is the next principle. In Mark chapter 10, if you've been following with our church in our reading through the Gospel of Mark, we would have read this a couple of weeks ago. And in Mark chapter 10, we have um, this story. And as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man runs up to him, kneels before him and asks, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a really good question. You could rephrase the question, what must I do to experience happiness? What must I do to experience this life abundantly? It's a good question. The story goes on. Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to them, and he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Interesting, Jesus is connecting abundant good life with the Ten Commandments. But what do you notice about the list? Jesus, his command list, he lists Commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 5. And then he adds fraud, okay? Pay attention to that. And the story goes on. Jesus looking at him and loving him. You know, that's how Jesus looks at us, right? He looks at you with love looking at him and loving him, says to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now here's a very sad verse in the New Testament and one that fills me with fear sometimes when I think about my own life. Disheartened by the saying, the man goes away sorrowful because he had great possessions here's the question did jesus leave out the tenth commandment no this man could boldly and confidently say i have kept commandments six seven eight nine and five and then jesus asks him a question that prompts the tenth commandment well what's your relationship with your possessions Jesus goes on. He looks around. He says to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Friends, covetousness affects us personally because it keeps us from the relationship with God that we are meant to have. The relationship that Jesus made possible in dying on the cross. The relationship that these three baptismal candidates celebrated this morning. Covetousness gets between us and God. It keeps us from the abundant life that Jesus has for us. In the name of riches, security, in the name of having more, we keep ourselves out of the life that Jesus has for us. Because friends, we were made for the kingdom of God. We were made for God. In the words, over quoted words of Augustine, that God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. And God has made us for so much more than what this world has to offer us in stuff, In possessions. Daryl Johnson, in his book, um, I'm blanking on the title of his book, he wrote a book on the Ten Commandments, and it's really good, and you should all read it. Um, But this chapter on the Tenth Commandment, he calls it Souls Running on Empty. And this is what he's getting at. When we break the First Commandment, we always and automatically break the Tenth. We become souls running on empty, desiring anything and everything that can fill the hole in our souls. Covetousness is us making a hole in our soul, saying that I am not complete, I am not happy, I am not okay. And it's reaching beyond the things that God has already given us, saying those things aren't good enough, and pushing beyond them and trying to satisfy something in us, but they never will. So we become souls running on empty. Friends, to this 10th commandment, I believe Jesus invites us to a different way, not a way of covetousness, but a way of contentment. The way of Jesus is a way of contentment. It's a way of contentment. I'm already over time. That's not good. So how do we keep the 10th commandment? How do we keep the 10th commandment? I believe it begins by us looking to Jesus. Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, the invitation to the young man is to get rid of the stuff and what? Follow me. Abandon all these things that you think are going to make you happy and follow me. Give these things away and live life with Jesus. Look to Jesus the Apostle Paul lived this out. He writes in Philippians chapter four. He says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, or have learned I have for I have learned in every situation that I am to be content. I know how to be I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me i think we could rephrase what paul is saying here by saying that paul's secret to contentment he said i can be content because i have jesus i can be content because i have jesus i can say no to despising my circumstances and wanting to reach beyond them because i have jesus do you have jesus Jesus makes it possible to walk in the way of contentment because what he has for us is so much better than everything else the world is telling us that we need. So it begins by us looking to Jesus. Friends, covetousness is taking our happiness, our security, or pleasure into our own hands. But Jesus is there in our ache. Jesus sees us when we're unhappy. He sees us when we are in a space of longing for security and not feeling safe. He sees us in our want and our need when we're looking to feel good. Jesus sees us in all of that and he's there. And he wants to meet those needs. He wants to respond to that ache. Will you let him in? Will you let him in? And when we let him in, we experience the spirit-empowered life that gives us strength and helps us to be content. So we look to Jesus. Secondly, we practice gratitude, thanksgiving, and worship. Gratitude, thanksgiving, and worship. Psalm chapter 73 is an interesting psalm. Um, In Psalm chapter 73, we have the psalmist who's looking at the, the looking at the position and the riches and the practices of the world around him. And the psalmist is frustrated because from their perspective, the world's doing pretty good. The people who don't seem to like God, they're doing pretty good. The psalmist looks around and says, man, a life apart from God, these people, you know, they're happy. Things look great for them. But I love there's a a switch in the psalm. That happens when the psalmist says, but then I thought, how to understand this? How do I understand all these people looking so happy without God? It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. The psalmist learns to be content as they go and they worship God, as they trust in God as they take their mind and their eyes off of their own circumstance, when they take their minds and their eyes off the situation, and instead they fix it upon God, and they see His goodness. And the psalm I love, he says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. He comes to this place of experiencing the goodness and the presence of God in the midst of that situation. Friends, worship and gratitude, thanksgiving, it anchors us in the present. In our current reality, it anchors us in a space where we can recognize the good that God has already given us. Instead of looking beyond what we have, we look up and we say, Thank you. And I still don't understand the irony of having Black Friday and Thanksgiving on the same weekend, do you? (laughs) Let's empty our bank accounts and max out our credits and let's be thankful for all we have. (laughs) It's like these two practices are juxtaposed. They're not the same thing. So what if when you feel the urge to go out and buy something or to load up the Amazon app on your phone, what if instead you stopped and entered into Thanksgiving and worship? How might thankfulness and gratitude change the way that you spend your resources? Friends, having things isn't bad. Having lots of things isn't bad. But are we buying what we need or are we buying what we want? It's interesting that God does not give us everything we want. So, why should we give ourselves everything we want? God knows that us having everything we want isn't actually in our best interests. The final practice, I believe, is for us to cultivate a greater affection. Cultivate a greater affection. We can say no to covetousness because what we have in Jesus is better. Jesus brings to us the life that we are made for. The Gospel of John um, famously has these I am statements of Jesus. Where Jesus declares to us through his word who he is. He says that he is the bread of life, the one who is going to satisfy us. He says that he is the light, the one who gives us hope in darkness and despair. He says that he is the good shepherd, the one who comforts our souls and guides and leads us in places of woundedness and brokenness. He leads us to abundant life. He says he is the door, the one who restores us into our relationship with God, the one that we were made for. He says that he is the resurrection and the life. When we are faced with impossibility and death, Jesus declares life. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. When we're facing confusion and brokenness in our world, Jesus wants to give to us the direction and the wisdom. And he wants to tell us what reality actually is so that we can enter into that reality and live in truth and abundance. He says that he is the vine. Which is to say that he is the one in whom we receive life and life abundant, the empowerment of his spirit, bringing life and guidance to our day-to-day reality. That's who Jesus is. He is life to the full. And in John chapter 6, his disciples have this amazing phrase where Jesus looks at them and says, are you guys going to walk away from me? And they say, no. Why? Because you alone, Jesus, have the words of life. Where else can we go? Everywhere else I go, I'm going to feel empty. Everywhere else I go, I'm going to experience brokenness. Everywhere else I go, it's hopeless. Where else can we go? He alone has the words of life. This is why Jesus says to us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these these things at their deepest level will be added unto you. So when we feel covetousness for our neighbor's house, The things that other people have that we think, oh, I just wish I had that. There's something deeper going on there. Jesus wants to meet that deeper need. When we look at our neighbor's relationships and we say, man, I just wish my spouse was more like your spouse. or I wish that I could just experience this thing that you're experiencing in the context of that relationship. There's something deeper going on there. When we look at our neighbor's circumstances and we just wish that ours would be more like theirs. There's something deeper going on there. Jesus wants to meet us in that place. So we cultivate a deeper and greater affection that when these desires for more are well up in us, our impulse is not to reach for those more things, but to reach for Jesus. Because he's greater and he's better. And we seek first his kingdom. So friends, we've come full circle in the Ten Commandments. And my attention was turned to the bookends of the Ten Commandments, which we begin with the declaration, I am the Lord your God, and concludes with the words, your neighbor. The Ten Commandments are not just rules, but the frame in which we experience the abundant life that God has for us, both with him and with others, so will you follow him? Will you walk in his ways? Will you journey with Jesus to experience that life that he made you for? He's inviting you. He's inviting you. Come and follow me, he says. I invite the worship team up. I don't know how you're hearing this this morning my preparation for this message, this commandment probably hit me the hardest because I see in my own life the temptation to reach for stuff and things and experiences before reaching for Jesus. And that covetousness in my own life, I've been confronted with the ways that it gets between me and God. So this morning, I just invite you during this time of worship, just to pray, confess that to the Lord and declare with your lips, Jesus, I choose to believe that you are better. And maybe you're hearing this this morning and you're new to church. You've never been to a church this before and you're just checking out faith. I encourage you to hear the invitation of Jesus to come and follow him. Experience the life he has for you. It's the simplicity of coming to him and confessing to him how you've done life without him and saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Just invite you to pray with me for a moment. Father God, we just pray that you'd help us to hear your Holy Spirit speak in this moment. Help us to hear from you this morning the ways that covetousness has gotten between you and and us, Lord, help us to see how covetousness has damaged our own lives, how it's damaged our relationships. And just in the quiet of this moment, Lord, we confess of those things. We just confess those to the Lord. Lord, forgive me for the ways that I reach for. and can fill in the blank instead of reaching for you. Help us to be a people, Lord Jesus, who reach for you. Because you are better. You are better.